but we do have the ability to change the world. In my world, I've never anticipated We're anything. also change paradigm. We're more than just a, a collection of uh, hammers and swords. It is such an exciting opportunity to really change brains. We always lose touch with common things that everyone uses and where they come from. Welcome to Drexel's 10,000 Hours Podcast. Our goal is to mine the stories behind our region's innovators, inventors, and thought creators. We'll be talking to experts and subjects from fashion to neuroscience to find out where their passion for work and inspiration for ideas comes from. I'm your host, Maurice Baynard. We always lose touch with common things that everyone uses and where they come from. And why are they so important to our culture? That's what I'm fascinated by. That's what drew me to fashion, too. Joe Hancock knows a thing or two about fashion. Joe is a leader in fashion scholarship, writing and editing several books, and acting as the executive director for events for the popular culture, American Culture Associations. He is the program director for Drexel University's online MS in retail and merchandising. Joe is also the world's foremost authority on cargo pants, and to put it mildly, a big personality. Talk to me about where you grew up, okay, and where it was in the world, and what it was like. I was born and raised in Kansas, um, was there until I was about 13, 14 years old. Mm. And then my mom and I moved to South Bend, Indiana. So I moved to Indiana, finished high school there. And then from there, I got my, I went to undergraduate school at Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana. And then I moved to Chicago, lived there for a couple years. And then I moved back to Bloomington, got my master's degree. And this was before the days of online education. So if you wanted to get that master's degree, you had to move to where the university was. actually go to the place. Exactly. What were your degrees in, in undergrad and graduate school? So my undergraduate is in apparel merchandising. And then my master's degree that I went back and got for was um, was apparel merchandising with a focus in diversified management. I got my master's degree in the mid-90s, like 1996 is when I was finished. Yeah. And there was a book by Roosevelt Thomas that came out in about 1992 that was Beyond Race and Gender, Diversity in the Workplace, which is hysterical to me because we're still talking about diversity right. in the workplace. Exactly. <laughs> but that fascinated me, the whole idea of um, diversity being a topic of the workplace and how important it is to you know, have this inter- these uh, multicultural folks in the workplace and we should respect who they are. And, you know, and me being a member of the GLBT community, of course, it really fascinated me, especially in the fashion industry, which I think overall has been pretty much accepting, right. you know, over the years. From there, I finished that degree. Um, and then I went on to Ohio State University and I got my PhD in consumer sciences with focuses in cultural studies. So I was still, I'm still fascinated with that whole ideology of multi- multiculturalism and cultural studies. And then my other minor was in communications. So really focusing on not so much um, mass communications. I'm actually one of those people that does weird um, research. I actually look at hermeneutics and semiotics and what things mean and how they can mean different things to different people, depending on who's looking at them. And I always warn my students, you know, I can only look at this and give you the interpretation from, you know, a white gay male. This is my interpretation of this symbol. It can mean other things to other people. So it seems like you knew what you really wanted to do from a really young age. When did you get interested in fashion and merchandising? I got interested in fashion actually in high school. Um, We always forget that the mall used to be the center of the social universe. That's true. And so I'm a child of the 80s. So before there was social media, 
there was the mall. And so I really and I've got to stop you and ask, <laughs> what was your favorite store in the mall? Okay, so my favorite store I went to work for, it was it was County Seat. Right. There it was a retailer that doesn't exist anymore. Um they sold jeans. And um, I was fascinated. There was a brand of, there are a few brands of jeans in the 80s that I like, but there was one brand that I was really fascinated by, and that's a brand called Gerbo. So, um, so I, that, and they sold those jeans. So I, you know, I wore those jeans and I liked them. And they also sold a brand called Bugle Boy. I don't know if you remember Bugle Boy. Everybody remembers Bugle Boy. I and, think I had a jacket. <laughs> yep. And, and then Guess was, Absolutely. Guess had their, their, their heyday back then. And so I started working there. And I think one of the things that really fascinated me more about, you know, my students always say, you know, where you, I was, I've always been into clothes. I like, I like fashion and I like clothing. But one of the things I like about fashion the most, and this is probably what's driven me, you know, through my entire career is the, again, the different types of people that work in fashion. And the fact that, you know, as a, as a young kid in the eighties, being, being a gay kid in the eighties, I was somewhat, you know, teased, bullied maybe. And the mall and the people that work there and, you know, especially my first bosses, you know, my first female bosses that I had, they were very accepting people. And I, I come from an accepting family. That's a win for me, too. Both my parents have been, you know, were always great. But I just think I found solace and a place that I felt like I belonged in the mall, which what went along with that was fashion. So I think that that is kind of the two go hand in hand for me. But I think it was having this interest of liking clothing and liking fashion with these other people that also accepted me that kept me on that path. So as I recall, mall culture, so it wasn't just being at the mall, but it's you got dressed up to go to the mall. Absolutely. Like it was a big deal on Saturday. You had to no have sweats. the right things on yep. just to go and sit in the food court. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing I liked about it. I liked the fact that I could dress up. It was a show place for me and that I would go there. I was working. I was all that in a bag of chips because I was working there. There's no question about it. So, you know, when you're working there, you know. You get the discount. Exactly. And what's weird is is the folks in, you know, even the folks in high school that had, you know, that may have been a little tough on me. Once they knew I worked at the mall, I was a different person. Right. So it elevated me to a new level. Because working at the mall had a certain gravitas. Exactly. How'd you get that job? Like, did you just walk in and I ask did. for the manager? I did. I Well, I shopped there. And then right. I, and later on, I, I walked in and said, hey, I want to work there. Was there something that happened while you had that first job that made you say, you know what, there's no question I want to do this for the rest of my life? Oh, I thought I had um, Linda, Linda and Sharon, one of my our, my first two managers, and Lisa. They, I thought they were so cool. They... They loved to go to the tanning salon. They smoked. They, um, they, Wait, they, what did they, they, they smoke? They, Were they like Marlboro no, girls? Yeah, Marlboro or, girls. Like, Out okay. the back door of the store. <laughs> you know, they were, they were so cool. And they, they just, they loved everybody. And they, and they had friends that came in that I could tell were gay men. Right. And they were so nice to them. And I just knew that these ladies were very accepting. And I knew that they were, they were who I wanted to be. And they had gone to college. And I was like, you can go to college and do this. And they're like, oh, yeah. And um, but I realized that they, you know, they they were doing something I wanted to do. Right. What was interesting is, is for, for a while, um, what a lot of people don't know about me for a while, I wasn't going to go to school. I was actually going to stay in this mall. And because they always tell me, you know, you have management potential. And at one point I was going to become a manager. But it was one of my managers, Sharon, who said, nope, you know what? You need to go to school. This is always going to be here. So I actually went to my guidance counselor and she said, have I got the school for you? When I said, I think I want to go to school and study fashion. And she said, I've got the perfect school for you. 
And she sent my mom and I to Indiana University to an open house, and the rest is history. Wow. What did your mother do? My mother started out as a grade school teacher. She taught second grade, and then she taught four, five, and six special math. And told me never to become a teacher, and here I am a professor he, today. It's like mm-hmm. you're a teacher. You yeah. married your mother's job. And yeah, what you loved. exactly. And then my father. I'll tell you this. I'm not, I wasn't very close with my father, but um, we did have a relationship. My father actually never went to college. He actually got his bar. He was a barber. Got a barbering license, and he actually eventually went on to own schools of cosmetology. He had six schools of cosmetology, and he taught classes on hair. So both of my parents actually, in and of themselves, were teachers. So I actually kind of so it's, followed it's the, fa- along. it's the family business. Yeah, and, he, and, and I think my love of, just so everyone knows, my love, this is something I do not talk about usually at all. My love of retailing really comes from two people. My father's father, who passed away when I was very young, um, five, five years old, I think five or six, um, he had a sporting goods store and I thought it was the coolest thing. And, um, it burnt, he died in, it, it burned and he what died the in the fire. Hancock Orchards. They not only had a sporting goods store, but they also were peach farmers. The Hancocks were peach farmers. So they had, they had peaches. And then on the flip side, my mom's mother worked at a thrift store, like a church thrift store. And my mom's mother used to watch me a lot and she would take me to the thrift store with her. And I would sit in the back and play with all the toys that people brought in for donations. And I just thought it was the coolest thing that they had this store and people came in and bought things. It was like a Salvation Army, but it was, but it was a local thing in Wellington, Kansas. And I used to just go in there and hang out and sit in the racks and all that kind of stuff with all this, you know, used clothing. And I was just fascinated by it. And I think that those two things in my childhood, I always think back now that I'm older, really influence the fact that I love the store, right? the setting of the store. You're all about the store. I am. So you're there, you're in middle America. Right. And when we think of fashion, at least in the more formal sense, I think of the coasts. Yep. Right, I think of California yep. and yep. I think of New York, but I don't really think of middle America as being a high fashion place. I guess I think everybody's wearing boots and and very practical clothing. Well, they have a different style. I think people don't really um, understand the Midwest as far as the fashion aesthetics goes. That there is an aesthetic there that you know is nowhere else. Um, and the thing of it is, is Midwesterners like their clothes. They are fashionable people. Chicago is a very fashionable Absolutely. city, and we forget that the bulk of clothing is sold in the Midwest. West Coast and the East Coast are large, but the bulk of fashion is sold in the Midwest. The, the, the one thing is, is I think women's fashion is a lot larger in, um, in, in its sales because I think more women, of course, shop in the Midwest. I think men in the Midwest are not so fat. I think you, you find more men interested in fashion on the East and West Coast than you do in the Midwest because men in the Midwest are more drawn to things like cars, sports. I think it's more of a... I always say this, men in the Midwest, I mean, my, all, most of my cousins drive, you know, $50,000 pickup trucks. I mean, right. and so their, their money is more into, not so much into clothing, but more into cars, boats, trucks, blah, 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 blah. So I just think it's, I think it's a different ideology. In New York, not everybody has a car. 
Um, I think that in New York, you have the man who will pay $1,000 for a pair of shoes because his feet are his car. So we wear our pickup you, truck. You wear your pickup truck. Absolutely. And that's why I think there's more expenditure on, on fashionable items and luxury items on the coast. But mass merchants do most of their business in the Midwest. In the Midwest. Is there a fashion trend, current, that you really wish would go away? You ask me this. Yeah. Do you pick favorites? I have a favorite. I have my own favorites. Okay, tell me about your well, favorite, course, and we'll back into the one that my, you really don't like. Of course, my favorite is cargo pants because of my <laughs> We've got dissertation to talk about on cargo, cargo pants. pants. Um, but we will get there. Probably my least favorite fashion right now. I have a list of. I hope they don't come back, and they're not so much fashions as styles. Here they are. Ice wash denim does not need to come back. The reason why is one, it's not good for the environment, and two, it's just ugly. Two, the mullet. The mullet. Professional up front, party in the back. Don't need that anymore. It needs to never <laughs> come back again. Um, you were a fan of the mullet? I want other people, not okay. on me. But okay. I really enjoy it. I didn't see very many black people wearing the it mullet. It wasn't popular in the African American community. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then the other one that I hope that never comes back is I, I just was never a fan of elastic. And it, actually, this has come back. Elastic bottomed pants. Oh, that that gather at the uh, they ankle. Gather at the ankle, which has come back. That's if you now we're going to go back to what you just said. That's probably my least favorite thing, is the gathered bottom joggers that are big right now. Yes, yes. Like you're wearing. Yes, yes. They, they sell them now at like Old Navy. They sell them everywhere. Yeah, like that's a thing. and all the designers did them. It's and I think a that the, and I have to tell everybody this. I think they're an evolutionary process off of the mom jean. They go along with this whole ideology of athleisure wear. Right. I think athleisure wear is very popular. I, th- I don't think... We- Absolutely. So well, now we all wear leisure wear everywhere. Yeah. And, but, but what's weird is in menswear, if you look at menswear, um, what's going on is this, this, the blazer, the suit is back. You see a lot of brands selling suits again, like Bonobos, like the suit has come back. So it's really weird to me that we have this thing of athleisure wear that's popular with women, but the suits come back for men. Right. So I think it's really strange what's going on. It is. Okay. What is the difference between fashion and style? Okay. So fashion is a prevailing, a prevailing clothing style that's worn at a particular time. So right now we would say joggers are fashion, Right. A style is how you put things together. Got it. Does that make sense? It does. It does. So like in the 80s, I always say this, like, so my students always, you know, want a distinction. So in the 80s, you had the preppy look, right? So you had people wearing the preppy look different ways. So for example, you know, MTV generation in the 80s, you had the rap culture that was coming out at the time. Rappers wore preppy, but they wore it baggy. They wore it bigger. That was the style of wearing it, where you had the traditional preppy who wore everything fitted. It's the same look, but stylized differently. Right. So who's your favorite fashion designer I would, uh, at hands, the moment? Hands down. Well, always for me, it has always been Ralph Lauren. And why is that? I like Ralph Lauren for the same reason I talked to you about multiculturalism. When we say Ralph Lauren, we think wasp. And I, and I, and I don't think we should think that because we have a Jewish man who's the head of design there. Hmm. And I think the company overall is very philanthropic to differences and multiculturalism. So that's why I like the brand. He was one of the first major brands to feature a black model, Tyson Beckford, in his advertising. And banked an entire division, um, Polo Sport, on that advertising campaign. 
So we have to give him credit for that because he pushed it to that mar- to the market with a black model. So one of the first to do that when most people would not feature black models because the the sales had indicated that people buy more off of white models than black models. So he took that chance. When he had the rugby line, he actually had um, kids from the Harvey Milk School design tote bags, which he sold at rugby. So I think that he represents some sort of multiculturalism that we don't expect from him. We expect him to be waspy, but it's, it's just strange to me that he does all these multicultural things. And what's interesting to me is a large portion of the black community wears polo. Yeah, absolutely. So I was wondering. So it's interesting. They do, but I don't know if they associate it with Ralph Lauren. I don't know if the ads in, right. say, GQ are what's driving people to go and buy a Ralph No, Lauren and this, is, this, this, will, this will reel us in to cargo pants. Here we go. So I knew we were getting there. What's happened is, no, really what's happened is is consumer generationally consumers start to not remember or start to forget what things mean. Right. So for example, if you go up to students today and you say, "Where did the t-shirt come from?" They have no idea. Or if you say, "You know, where did the polo shirt come from?" Ralph Lauren, "No, it didn't. It came from René Lacoste. It was designed for René Lacoste as a Tennis shirt. Yes. And it spun off from that. Where do cargo pants come from? Abercrombie and Fitch. Nope. Sorry. Abercrombie and Fitch didn't invent cargo pants. Right? So I think generationally, as time goes on, we forget where things come from. And each generation has a tendency to not understand the historical significance of something. Nor do they, nor do I think they really care. I mean, I'm stealing this from Vivian Westwood. She said, you know, the 20th century was a mistake because the whole ideology was to erase the past and, you know, and, and move into the future. And we don't want to know what happened to people or we don't want to know what happened to things. And I, I agree with her. We should remember things. We should remember where things come from. Because if you forget your history, you have a tendency to repeat it again, right? But in fashion, she said, you know, no one remembers where anything comes from. And so when, she, you know, they think that the designer has invented this fashion, no one's really inventing new things. They're just borrowing from history and borrowing from different style, and they're recombobulating it to their brand image, and they're presenting to it, presenting it to us as if it's new. So with cargo pants, I was fascinated with this idea that young people were wearing this pant, but when I would walk up to them and say, where do cargo pants come from? They weren't saying the military. Right. To me, that was like a no-brainer. They were saying Abercrombie & Fitch and Old Navy. So that's why I decided to do my I study is this this concept of where does something come from and cargo pants hadn't been done before and you know why are they so popular and that's what I did for my dissertation When was the cargo pant invented who invented it and why <laughs> Well okay I feel like you're the only person on the planet who knows this answer No <laughs> I don't know the answer. That's the thing. No one does. <laughs> they were invented. We we think about, you know, between I wanna I keep finding things that are conflicting. So like nineteen thirty-four to about nineteen thirty-six, somebody gets the idea in the military to say, Hey, we should put these pockets on these pants. And I went to a source, I went to um Virginia to Fort Lee to um to their military museum, and they have the first pair of cargo pants. The very first pair. The very, not the very, one of the first pairs, right? right? To ever be deployed. Yes, to be deployed. Now today, we would probably know today who invented them, right? Because they're labeling and they're and the, that type of thing. But back then, no idea who did it, 
But we're, we know that they didn't come out until about World War II. That's the first war where they're being used. Because if you look at World War I, you don't see them. Right. But where they come from, probably the United States. And the reason why I say that is because of this. During the war years, we were not fighting war on our, in our country. Right. It was being fought everywhere else, right? We manufacture. People forget. We were, at one time, we were China. We were manufacturing everything. So, yeah, so we were, we were a center of production. So we were probably making uniforms for other countries as well because they had battles in their countries. We were making the uniforms for their soldiers because they, they couldn't make them. You know, they were fighting the war in their country. So we were probably producing uniforms for multiple countries. So England and the United States are the first countries where you see them pop up. Is there something that people uh, fail to ask you, given your expertise in fashion and merchandising, that you really wish they would ask? I think that we don't give enough credit to the people that work daily in retail stores. I think that we think it's a very easy job. And what we think, what we forget is, is how does all that product get onto the floor, get sized, get organized? How does it get put together so that we at least want to buy it? Um, and how do and how do we respect the people that literally wait on the public all the time? And I think instead of you know some countries have um, military service as a form of living in their country, I think we should stick everyone in a retail store for one year of their life. Everybody should work retail at least once. Yeah, and have to like deal with the public in that capacity. We always assume it's someone that doesn't have much intelligence, or you know they never went to school, or you know, they, they don't know what they're doing. Right. So that's one thing that, you know, I wish we would, you know, people would talk about a little bit more because I think it's really important. And then I also think that we also have to remember that a lot of the people doing those jobs aren't making a lot of money yeah. and probably are supporting their families. So I think that's an important aspect to think about. Joe Hancock, this has been great. I could do this with you all day. Yeah. Man, we, we might have to have you come back and do uh, a part two. Come back and have me do a segment on Catwoman, because I have a large collection. I am a Catwoman collector. That can't be true. Yes, Go. it is. Go. So you, you know I a lot an, about that's, Catwoman? That's one thing. Well, I'll share with you some of Mary Catwoman? Or? All of them. Right. Every All of them. And, when I will tell, and I will tell your public this. When I was younger and I was a young man, we knew there was problems because I wanted to grow up and be Catwoman. Not Julie Newmore, not Lee Merriweather, but Eartha Kitt. So I could not be a woman, nor could I. Well, I couldn't be. I could be a woman today, but I couldn't be a black woman. You could, and that's really and could. that's who I wanted to be when I was younger. Because I, I, but I probably have the largest collection of Catwoman things. I have almost every comic she's been in. Wow. And so that's a side note on me. Not only do I like cargo pants, I like Catwoman. The Ten Thousand Hours podcast is powered by Drexel University Online. <laughs>